This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. As we are coming to you, have been all morning so far, <laughs> live from Green Bay, Wisconsin. A lot of people ask if we pre-record these things. No, all of this is done live as you are seeing it and uh, bringing people in. A lot of people are pre-recording. That's fine. We found that people seem to respond better for some reason when it's live. So we do it live and in person. People say, who are you preaching to? <laughs> Pretty much an empty church. Although this morning, my crowd has doubled. Uh, <laughs> I went from, from Becky to uh, Pastor Arnie Jacobson, who's sitting in here with us this morning. Uh, pastor Jacobson is the pastor who built this amazing church here and uh, got me into ministry when I didn't think I'd ever be back in ministry. And uh, from all of his efforts and stuff, his birth to where we are today. So I have an audience of two plus the camera people and stuff. And uh, hey man, we're, we're rocking this morning. Oh, by the way, if my tie gets crooked, you got to wave me down. Wave me down, all right? My wife isn't here to yell at me about that. All right, because people were having conniption fits, all the perfect natured people, because <laughs> I had to tie those off to the side or something like that. So it is what it is. I move around and the tie doesn't stay put. <clears throat> anyway, uh, before we go any further, let's uh, say together uh, the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. So hopefully y'all are doing okay with all of this uh, quarantining across the country, certainly across the state of Wisconsin. We're among some of the more extreme edicts from those on high. Uh, but this is starting to let, let out. Places around the country are starting to open up. But you have to understand, all of you church people, we'll be the last of the Mohicans. I'm sure the last thing they're going to do is finally approve of people sitting together in large groups. So we are amongst those like in sporting arenas and stuff that uh, we'll be the last to get in. But it's all right. Hang in there. We're doing fine. People are growing in their faith. People are still coming to Jesus. It's amazing how many people have been responding uh, by faith to these uh, uh, broadcasts every week. And, uh, and again, if we can do anything that you need us to do for you or help you, contact the church. Get a hold of us, and we'll do what we can to be there for you. But in the meanwhile, continue to hang in there. 
Um, we don't have a time or, or a chance to actually hand out buckets for an offering this morning. So what we do is encourage people to give online. Thank God for those of you who have already signed up for recurring giving. And if you consider yourself a part of Celebration Church, and there are people all over the country, the world literally, who consider this. I run into them all the time. They say, this is our church. This is where we go every Sunday morning. They can't get there physically, but they're watching online. You need to give as well. Uh, go online, sign up for recurring giving. And doing that, say, we're going to give X amount of dollars every week. And it just happens automatically. Uh, it's a way of you committing to and being a part of what uh, God is doing here at Celebration Church. And the Bible is very clear that we are supposed to give financially to those who bless us spiritually. That is the spiritual standard. Say, well, how much should you give? Well, you know, how much do you want to get blessed? If there's one thing the Bible taught us is uh, God will use back the same measuring uh, device you use. In other words, if you want a little tiny bucket of blessing, just give a little bit and God will bless back. If you want to be generous, God will be more generous back to you. That's the way it works. I know some people don't like that, but it is literally. If you are really hesitant in your giving, God is hesitant in blessing you. And I don't know about you, but going through all this crazy, I need as much blessing as I can get. And I want God to get us through this thing. So be generous. Don't hold back. Uh, you can just go online, celebrationchurch.tv, uh, and uh, give uh, there. Or those of you who are watching online, Facebook and stuff, you can give by texting. Go to nine, you go to your text thing or send a message. And the number you're sending the message to is 99799. And then 77, seven, the other way around. 77977. Seven, seven. Yeah, I don't know who the other people were. You just gave them some money. But give it to us, 77977. Seven, seven, and then in the message, put CCWI, which stands for Celebration Church Wisconsin. CCWI is in the message and then the amount you want to give. And that's how you can give. Uh, uh, and you can even do that on your multitasking phones while you're still listening to me. So be generous and then trust God to be generous back to you. Also, Pastor Joe wanted me to remind you all that they are taking, uh, things keep, are going forward, uh, res registrations for the T1 program. If you are interested in uh, next fall taking a year off and uh, just having a time of kind of centering and putting God first in your life and uh, learning about life and life skills and things, you can sign up for the T1 program. And then they're going to go the first, what is it? Five months, they're doing classes or something like that. And then the last four or whatever it is, I don't got my number, numbers right. Uh, <laughs> can't even tell you the text number. Um, uh, you go on a missions trip. And this isn't one of these weekend mission trips, which are fine. Thank God for that. But come on, those are almost more like vacations than they are much ministry opportunities. We send you for several months, four to five months, where you're living with these people and doing life with these people and ministering to these people. It is a life changer. I don't know that I've met anyone who's gone on a trip like this for an extended period of time who has not come back and said, this changed their lives. What a great impact for a young person before you go out and do the rest of your life by putting God first and having a fabulous experience like that. So check that out, Celebrate uh, T1, transition1.org, org, O-R-G. All right. This morning, we are, this is the third Sunday of Easter. We are still in the celebration of Easter in the Christian calendar. All over the world, Christians are celebrating Easter. It's more than just a one-day deal. It's actually a season of Easter. And the truth is, we celebrate Easter 
all year because without the resurrection, none of this means anything. So, but we're on the third Sunday of Easter I, and, and still reading some of the uh, texts from what happened on that glorious day. Today, I want to read to you from Luke, the uh, 24th chapter, verse 13. This is called the uh, road to Emmaus. And uh, so you have the context here. <clears throat> uh, Jesus has been arrested uh, late a Thursday night. They ran a trial all night long. Friday, they finally condemned him to death, crucified him. He dies. They put him in a tomb right away before the Sabbath kicks in, which is Friday night. As soon as the sun goes down in Jewish tradition, that's the beginning of the next day. And uh, so he's in the tomb on Saturday. Then early Sunday morning, they came to, the women came to prepare his body because they hadn't done anything to him yet. They just put him in the tomb temporarily to uh, take care of him on Sunday. When they got there, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. And in fact, he had been risen. They saw angels. Jesus himself appeared to Mary Magdalene. So this is a big deal. Now, this, what we're going to read is still the same day. This is now toward the evening time where these two guys are walking along. And what's interesting about these guys, they're not apostles. We know the 12 apostles, but there were more than just their apostles. There were a lot of disciples, aside from the apostles, 12, that were followers and deeply uh, committed followers of Christ who were all part of this. We just don't see their names until in this case, we see one of their names. So these are just two of the disciples. They, this, is the next, this is Sunday still. They saw what had happened with Jesus being killed. Uh, they're hearing stories. These girls said that they had visions and they saw Jesus and he'd raised from the dead and they're still processing what is going on. So we pick it up at verse 13. What I wanna do, I wanna read through the whole thing and then we're gonna come down and break it down for you. Uh, I always look at the clock, but in this case, it goes as long as I want. Where are you gonna go? All right, so Luke 24, verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you guys discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Indeed, they were extremely sad. You can imagine this was devastating what had just happened. Um, then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, so that's how we know one of the guy's names, other guys never named. He answers, says, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And Jesus asked them, what things? <laughs> and they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the leaders handed him over to be condemned and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. What group? See, it was more than just the 12, is the point I'm putting out. So there's a group of followers. Some of the women from the group astounded us. Uh, they were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So they're aware of all this stuff, Peter and John running back to the tomb because uh, they're a part of the group. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Uh, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it like he did on that uh, last supper. He gave it to them and then their eyes were open and they recognized him and then poof, he vanishes from their sight. How do you get your head around that? Good night. I mean, these are people, they haven't even seen a special effects on TV at this point. All of a sudden, poof, somebody disappears right in front of you. It would be shocking. But they saw him and they knew it was Jesus. And they said to each other, I'm sure very excitedly, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, another seven miles back the other direction. Uh, and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together. Uh, they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road for them and how he had been known to them in the breaking of the bread. All right, so let's back up and take a look at this. Uh, a few things on this uh, still resurrection day that we're celebrating is um, in verse 15, it says, while they were walking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So number one, sometimes Jesus comes to us in a way that we don't recognize. And it's interesting. You know, I know a lot of people are struggling and we're already hearing reports of increased suicides in America, massive depression and stuff because of all this quarantining. People are losing their livelihoods. Some are losing their business. And we are yet to uh, see the economic effects of this. I hope it is much lighter than many of us are concerned about. But uh, I was talking to an older gentleman yesterday and he said, well, what, what does it matter, you know? You don't want people to die. No, I get it. But somehow you got to balance all this stuff out because if we crush the economy, a lot of people are going to die anyway. Uh, and it's going to be horrible if people lose their jobs, lose their uh, incomes, lose their homes. Oh, man, there's, there, there could be a domino effect uh, of astronomical proportions, which we still haven't seen. I'm not trying to create fear in you. I'm just saying many of you have already considered this. That's why a lot of people are struggling and depressed. And a lot of times when things get dark, people feel like God is a million miles away. And I don't know about you, but that has certainly been the case with me. When things seem really dark and miserable, um, it is very frustrating and you feel like God is very, very far. Now, some think these two guys were really depressed. I mean, they're walking along. Imagine they were standing there looking sad. They were extremely depressed. These guys, who knows, probably left everything to follow Jesus. He said, our hope was he was gonna be the Messiah. They put all their hope in him, invested everything in him. And then all of a sudden to their shock and horror, you know, he gets arrested, crucified, he's dead. And, you know, you're, they're pretty depressed. They were very, very down, confused about what they'd heard about the rumors about him being risen. They didn't know what was going on. And while they felt as dark as they possibly could dark, God could not have literally been closer to them than in that moment when they were walking along with Jesus himself. They just didn't see it. Sometimes you don't see these things. Sometimes God comes to us in a ways that you don't expect. God will use people in ways that you don't expect. What, what is the point of this? You know, God, be encouraged. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he doesn't. You know, it reminds me of Christmas time. We talk about Mary and Joseph, you know. Uh, it's a very romanticized night when we talk about the baby being born in a manger. But this was not romanticized. This was one miserable 
evening. First of all, I had to take this stupid journey all the way from their hometown up to Bethlehem. She's eight point whatever months pregnant on the verge of popping. Can you imagine how miserable it was? They get in town. There's no body, no place at the inn. They have any place to stay. They wind up in a barn and you can't help. And she goes into labor. God had to seem a gazillion miles away from her. But at that moment, it would not have been physically possible for God himself to be closer as she held that baby in her arms. so, So the point is, you know, live by faith, not by your feelings. Your feelings will tell you it's hopeless. And I'm telling you, God's word says it's not hopeless. Your feelings will say God doesn't care about you. I'm telling you, the scripture tells God loves you and cares about you. Your feelings might say uh, he's not anywhere near. And I'm telling you, God said he would never leave you nor forsake you. Even though it feels awful, be of good cheer. And no matter what circumstance you're in right now, you might be home with little kids going insane. <laughs> Actually, those got to be the guy suffering the most, wouldn't you think? <laughs> ah, you know, us geezers, man, we're, we're just, just another day at home, right? We're just kind of relaxing. You guys got the, I'm bored. What am I going to do? Oh, my goodness. Month of that. Every day. Hang in there. God has not forsaken you. <laughs> it may feel like he has, but he has not. Uh, and then I love this next part where Jesus comes along and says, so, so what are you guys talking about? Well, clearly he knew what they were talking about. And then they said, well, haven't you heard about these things, about Jesus of Nazareth? He goes, what things? Well, nobody was more aware of what the things than he was, being Jesus of Nazareth himself. What's the point here? God cares about what you're struggling with, and he wants to hear from you. Don't get discouraged and, and give up and fail and say, oh, you know, no sense in even praying. Yeah, pray. So well, I got nothing but whining. Well, then whine. Talk to God. Make, you know, the Psalms talk about, I I cried out to God. I made my complaints known to God. You know, do whatever you got to do. Vocalize the stuff to him because he wants to hear it. So, well, he knows. I'm telling you, he wants to hear it. That's exactly what happens here. He knows what they're talking about. He's the God of the universe. He knows what things did just happen. He was there, but he's asking them, what things? What are you talking about? Tell me, what are you experiencing? And they start pouring out their hearts. And in doing so, he's connecting with them. So that's an important thing to keep in mind as well. All right. So um, then we go into this uh, situation. And, uh, and here I want to, this, this next portion of scripture is, is uh, so I was talking to some pastors recently, actually this week, who are, they are in churches kind of like ours. I, I've mentioned this a, a few months ago. They're called you know, I've always wondered, what kind of church are we? Because, you know, I came from a, a, you know, I was raised in a very liturgical church, then became a very charismatic church. And then we've kind of done this shift and uh, no one was telling us to do it. It was just something that I felt in my heart I wanted to do. But started finding out more and more churches across America were doing this. I think it's something that God is doing. It's a movement, if you will. I don't know how big of a one it is. Uh, those of you in Stevens Point remember when I was there, we started doing this early on. And we often talked about yeah, I wonder if we're the only ones doing this. But we were, you know, from our charismatic background, starting to look at, you know, some of these more liturgical things that people have done, some of these more, some of the things they've been doing for 2,000 years uh, in the Christian church, you know, emphasis like doing on the Lord's Prayer, praying that together, um, doing communion every Sunday, uh, those sorts of things. It wasn't some master plan. It was just something that we felt we should do. 
And then we started doing the Apostles' Creed together, which we did just a minute ago. And many of you will remember when I did this, the main reason I did it is because there was a big study that it came out of Barna Research. These are guys that analyze things that churches do, particularly evangelical churches. And they had reported that according to their studies, the vast majority of young people who go through our churches by the time they're in their second year of college no longer believe in virtually anything we've taught them. Uh, they don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in Jesus dying and raising from the dead. All this. We're talking evangelical kids in our structure. It was one of the most, shy, there were shockwaves that went through the Christian community when we heard this. Uh, I know groups had gathered together to try and find solutions and come up with programs and stuff for this sort of thing. I don't know that they ever got anywhere. I don't know what happened, but uh, many of I remember saying to the church at that time, I said, look, the thing that struck me about this is I can be in some bar up in Northern Wisconsin, some guy sitting there half blitz out of his mind, sitting on a bar stool and talking religion. And he'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in, why? Because all his life he had been drilled in these tenets over and over and over again. And one of the things that these very traditional churches do is they teach these young people and they recite over and over again, the apostles create a creed. Creed that was, he said, well, that's uh, Catholic. It was 300 years before the Roman Catholic Church even existed. They were doing this, one of the earliest things recorded from Christians right out of the apostle apostolic era was this creed. And it's all, it's very historical. They've got copies of it. They know exactly what was said. And that's what we do. And I remember telling all of you, we're doing the Apostles' Creed, and I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for your kids and for your kids' kids. We need to start drilling because this thing would really shock me. We need, I don't know what they're thinking or hearing when we're doing all these different events with youth and kids and stuff like that, but man, in this church, they need to keep hearing the basics every Sunday. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is important. So, and we started doing those sorts of things and kind of blending you know, you got three major streams of churches. You've got evangelical churches. You've got uh, charismatic Pentecostal churches. You've got liturgical churches. And there are groups of us that are starting to blend these together. And the word for them is convergent churches. Now, some people got excited when I said the word convergent because the evangelical part of us is always afraid of something, <laughs> some cult we're not becoming something. I just gave you the name of what we already are. This is what we are. There's no big organized anything that does this. This is just a way of describing. Convergent, in other words, we converge these three elements together. And what makes each church different is how they blend it together. We do it one way or another, but they, they don't just shut down all of these. So anyway, I was talking to these pastors who are convergent pastors uh, in a conversation this week and uh, on the phone and our, it was a conference thing, whatever. And uh, they said they love this part of the story because they see these three elements together. And I want to point these out to you as we start to wrap this up this morning. First of all, uh, in the midst of their struggles and troubles, the first thing Jesus does is stresses to them the importance of the word, the word of God. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he opened it up and showed them what the scripture said. So this is what uh, we say is very evangelical. One of the great strengths, and each thing has strengths and weaknesses, which we're going to look at right now. But one of the great things about the uh, evangelical church is their strong emphasis on the scriptures. Uh, it's what Martin Luther said when he first started breaking away from the Catholic church, you know, 500 years ago, whatever it is now. Um, and and this said a Latin phrase, which is called sola scriptura, 
which means only the scriptures. It is the scriptures that matter. Doesn't matter what anybody thinks about anything as long as it doesn't go against the scriptures. If it goes to the scriptures, the scriptures have precedent over everything. And that's what he started uh, uh, doing. They started emphasizing the priesthood of the believer. You don't need a priest to get to God. You can get to God right now. You don't need someone else standing in uh, the way for you. And they were going back and emphasizing everything from a scriptural point of view. And one of the great things about the evangelical experience is this heavy emphasis on the scriptures. That's the positive. Here are some of the negatives. And these are generalities. By the way, when you say evangelical, that's a broad brush. That's a whole lot of different versions of of churches out there. But uh, here's some of the negatives. Uh, As a result of this uh, freeing of the individual, on the negative side, a lot of these churches are very disrespectful of the pastors. They consider the pastors just, you know, just a nobody, you know. They're not very respectful. Uh, they have no problem tearing down the pastor. They'll go to church and eat the pastor alive at lunch, you know, if they didn't like the way something was done. As soon as they disagree with something with the pastor, I don't have to listen to you. I, I have the scriptures. And they get become very arrogant and nasty. And we don't get a lot of this up here in northern part of the states because we're far enough from the Bible Belt. <laughs> to get away from a lot of that crazy. But it can be very disrespectful, and it ought not to be. Uh, They get a little arrogant because they don't want to listen to anybody. They think, well, I got the Bible, I have to listen. So they shut down. They become uh, an island unto themselves. And there's a lot of people, actually, who uh, their version of church, they don't go to church anywhere. Why? They're evangelical. All I need is a Bible. I don't need anybody else. And that's not what the Bible teaches, despite what they say they believe in the Bible. The scriptures are very clear that we should not forsake joining together with other believers, even though right now we can't even do that. Uh, they're very quick to get on guilt by association. You know, if you mention, you know, if I so much as, in a lot of evangelical churches, if they mention, you know, Joel Osteen or some other preacher, there's people that just start salivating and going nuts because you're guilty by association. You got to be real careful who you associate with, which is uh, what I said earlier, just mentioning convergent churches, you know, the evangelical part of our group goes, oh, they all freak out because of a name to something. Um, They tend to be very judgmental. This is the negative side of it because they will take what they view as the scriptures and if you don't line up with it, they will quickly condemn you. Ought not to be doing. And they tend to be legalistic because they got a passion for the scriptures. They want to help the scriptures out. And uh, I've used this analogy many times because there's no better analogy. Legalism, one of the best examples of it, is if you have a rule. Your rule is your kids can't play in the street. Well, that's a good rule. You don't want them to get hurt. Well, then a legalist will come along and say, well, you can't play in the yard, because if you play in the yard, you'll be tempted to play in the street. And another legalist will come and say, well, they can be inside, but they've got to close the curtains. Can't leave the curtains open, because if you open the curtains, they'll see the yard, they'll be tempted in the yard, and they'll wind up in the streets. And another idiot will come along and say, well, children should only be in the basement and never go upstairs, because they'll be tempted to look outside the curtain, see the yard, and end up in the street. So they start adding all these things that become very restrictive, and it becomes legalism. And, uh, and their passion for the scriptures, then they actually becomes a burden. They tend to do what the Pharisees did of the day, which takes something which was good and made it burdensome and awful and get a little uh, out of control on that. And then, because we don't like things like us uh, that are different than us, these groups tend to be very much looked down on the uh, liturgical viewpoints. The idea of sacraments, things like baptisms and communion are just done out of, you know, they're not, God doesn't really show up in these things. We just do them, uh, outward sign of an inward work or whatever. 
when in fact they're robbing themselves of some very powerful things. When we do these things, we believe God shows up and does some great things in these things. So then it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. That's when they opened their eyes. This is the sacramental part of it in our story this morning. The positive part of liturgical churches, they believe that God is present in the ordinances and practices of the church. And by the word, this word sacrament, if you look it up, it says, a sacrament is an act, ceremony, or ritual regarded as imparting divine grace, such as baptism, communion, or anointing of the sick. We believe when we do these things, God shows up. Uh, actually, Charismatics and Pentecostals are probably much more sacramental than they want to admit. They're the ones who truly believe in the laying on of hands. God does something. Anointing people is sick. God heals them. That's the wonderful thing about charismatic or Pentecostal expression. Uh, we read the story in, in Acts where uh, people took handkerchiefs and put it on Paul because the presence of God was so powerful on Paul that they would, or Peter, whoever it was, they would take the, the handkerchiefs and people who would touch the handkerchiefs would get healed. And there's Pentecostals and evangelicals to this day who practice this thing. Why? It's a very sacramental thing. We believe in doing this, God shows up and does something. It's just they tend to sneer at the idea of communion or baptism being sacramental for no other reason than the liturgical churches do it. And if they do it, then we shouldn't do it, which I think is just absurd. And that's why a lot of us who are in this thinking say, why are we excluding things just because somebody else does it that maybe we don't agree overall with them. So the nice thing about it, they believe God shows up in these. The negative of it is there's so much emphasis on these uh, uh, ordinances or sacraments that there's almost little to no thought about the scriptures at all. Uh, and many of us were raised. I think you were raised in church like this too, weren't you? <laughs> we did our sacraments. We didn't know anything about the Bible. They even talked about the Bible. Most of the priests I knew, I don't think, know anything, knew anything about the Bible. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've gone to liturgical churches, do your little sacraments and stuff. You never hear anything about the Bible. You don't know anything about the Bible yourself. The priest himself doesn't know anything about the Bible. That's the negative side. Now, they put so much emphasis on the sacraments. As long as you just do the sacraments. That's why a lot of these people think, well, as long as I just do these sacraments, they can still live like hell and it doesn't matter as long as I do. No, 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 no. You can't go. That's an extreme version of this. And that's why a lot of people who've come out of that are hesitant to touch anything close to it. Uh, but just because somebody abuses something doesn't mean you shouldn't touch it. There's people who abuse money. Uh, I still use money. If you have a problem, send me your money and I'll deal with it. And then <laughs> I'll personally clean it for you. <laughs> you know, it's still money to me. You know, so that's the negative thing. They don't, a lot of times, don't think anything of the scriptures. They're so into the sacramental. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, those who have been in churches like that. And then as far as the spirit, there's like no spirit in this thing. Many of these churches are so dead, it reminds me of the movie The Sixth Sense. You ever see this movie? It's a great, have you seen this movie? It's great, have you seen this? Yeah, as a, as a little kid, he sees dead people. And he says, I see dead people walking around like real people. And then he says, they don't know they're dead. Man, you want to have that experience? Go to a lot of liturgical churches. They're so dead. Good Lord. They don't even know they're dead. They're walking around like real people. It's just mechanical. La, 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 You know, and uh, not a whole lot of spirit in there. So heavy on the sacraments, but almost nothing in the scriptures and nothing on the, on the spirit and it becomes problematic. Not that people can't do that and do it in a worshipful way, 
there are people even in some of these uh, uh, churches like ours, some of these, um, what's the word again? <laughs> what? Converging, I forgot my word. Some of them are very liturgical, and they do. La, 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 and the people repeat la, 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 la. You know, my brother, Bishop Ed, he's an Anglican bishop, actually. He loves that stuff. He thinks it's great. You know, you can do it in a worshipful way. To me, I'd rather have a colonoscopy. It's just just so dry and boring to me. I can't take it. Uh, And, uh, you know, we, we we do one fairly liturgical service every year. It's the uh, Ash Wednesday thing that we do. Uh, and it's the most liturgical thing. But even still, it's not full-blown liturgical. Uh, you know, people who react to stuff obviously have never been. You know, every once in a while I get someone saying, you guys are too Catholic. You're like a Catholic church. I say, have you ever been to a Catholic church? If you think we're too much of that, next Sunday, I give you permission. I absolve you. You can go. Go to some of these churches, spend a couple hours there, and then come back and tell me we're like that. We're not like that in any way, shape, or form. The fact that we have one service out of 365 days a year, that's more liturgical. But even then, it's, you know, nobody's in robes and incense and dinging around and stuff like that. But it's our one. I think we can do one service based on 2,000 years of Christian history. It'll be fine. A lot of this has to do with, again, some of these reactions are just fear. The different sides fear each other. One of the knocks on the uh, evangelical is they fear uh, the charismatic experience. When we were raised, you know, they would say if you spoke in tongues, it was of the devil, right? I mean, anything spiritual, you know, and so fear, and they get very negative. These three worlds have been at war with each other for a long time. Although I must say the uh, charismatic evangelical or the charismatic Pentecostal side has had a massive impact on all worship experiences in America today. When I was growing up, Pastor Arnie and I, back in the 1800s, when we were growing up, you walked into a straight uh, uh, evangelical church. It, it was, there was no raising of hands. There was nobody saying, amen, we won't have any of that Pentecostalism around here. And the music was like a, you know, and no emotion. Now you can go almost to any Baptist church in America. There's 58 different versions of Baptist. You can't tell the difference between them and a charismatic church today. I mean, even some liturgical church, you, you can't tell the difference. If there's one area, Pastor Arnie, where the charismatic side has definitely won, it's in the area of worship and praise because it has affected everybody today. And finally, they're all getting, you know, it's kind of good to have a spiritual expression here. So anyway, that's, that's the positive thing of that. So, um, and then we get to the spirit part of it in our story. He says, when they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road? They went, man, something was happening. It reminds me of uh, Acts, the second chapter, verse 36. Um, therefore, this, is, this is Peter getting up preaching. This is, this is after the Holy Spirit had just come. And he says, therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, Verse 37, they were cut to the heart. Something changed. And they said, what do we have to do to be saved? There was a massive transformation that was made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the same guys that had seen Jesus when he was preaching. You guys all saw this stuff. You all know this. Everybody knew everything they were talking about. 
You'd have to be in a box somewhere, buried alive, not to know that Jesus of Nazareth had been around doing miracles and talking into people's lives and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Somebody from Appleton, stop calling me. I'm busy. <laughs> You'd have to be buried alive in a box not to know Jesus had been doing these miracles. Multitudes, you know, a, a, a country of about the third of the side of the state of Wisconsin. Jesus had done all, they all knew it, but it didn't have an impact on them until the Holy Spirit came. And then boom, they hear the message and now they're cut to the heart. The, uh, these guys said, man, we could feel something burning inside of us. Um, the positive stuff's about the charismatic expression, the Pentecostal expression, is they encourage the power, the energy, the emotion of the Holy Spirit. They celebrate the presence of God. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes God so real to us. It's really one of the reasons that... <laughs> Uh, some of the largest and fastest growing churches in the world today are charismatic churches. They just are. Uh, they've taken over South America. It's amazing. You know, several years ago, it wasn't that long ago before South America was considered the largest churches that were Catholic churches. That's not true anymore. That's not true anymore. Really? Yeah. Now the largest are charismatic churches. They're growing like crazy. Why? Because people come and they can experience God and they, can, they pray for the sick and they lay hands on people and do what? would be considered sacramental, these things, uh, that God is real in all of this stuff. So, uh, the, but on the negative side of it, um, you know, and you gotta be careful, and we've all seen this. Uh, some people are so into the spirit that whatever they think the spirit says, they run with it, even if it's in direct contradiction to what the scriptures say. And you can't do that. At the end of the day, the scriptures have the final say. Um, you know, I've told the story of this guy, he was after a service, he was sitting there by himself, he was crying. <clears throat> and I went up to him and said, why are you crying? Said, I just feel so guilty. And the people right away would start praying, oh Lord, that you would feel, you know, I always, don't just pray for people, ask questions. What are you talking about? He said, well, I moved up here from Texas and I'm living with this girl. And I said, oh. I said, well, man, why don't you just do the right thing and just marry the girl? He goes, well, that's the problem. She's already married. <laughs> and I'm like, What? And you feel guilty? You want me to pray for your guilt? I pray for your guilt. You need to stop it. And I said, weren't you part of a good church in Texas? He says, yeah. I said, did you tell them what you were going to do? He said, yeah. I said, what did they say? He said, well, just do what the Lord tells you to do. Oh, I hear this stuff and it makes me crazy. What's driving me crazy is a short drive. For heaven's sakes. You're, just do what the Lord tells you there. In the sense that God gave a box of rocks. The scriptures is very clear. You don't move in with married women. That's a bad idea. Scripture is really clear on that. It's part of the top 10. Thou shalt not commit adultery, you know? And you can't just, because you think the Spirit's leading you, just go. So there's extremes in all of these. So what uh, these convergent churches, now I can keep remembering the word, are doing is we're trying to embrace and accentuate the positives and eliminate the negatives. There's a song. You remember that song? You know that song? You know, that's because you're not 112 years old like we are. What is that? Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. Now you are. Hold on to the affirmative and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Anyway, it's a great song. Google it, you'll hear it. Uh, so that's all we're trying to do. And we see that in our story this morning. But we've got the three elements all mixing together. And what I'm trying to say, man, let's open our hearts to all of it. 
the positives of it. Let's take the best of what we can that we think is meaningful. And everybody has a different versions of this. This is our version of it. Uh, nobody claims one is better than the other, that one mix is better than the other. It's just, let's not just shut down. Let's not ignore spiritual things because there's some crazy people out there. Let's not ignore liturgical things because there's some people that's just mechanical about it. I mean, let's take what we believe is the best of all these things, blend them together and worship God because I want the whole thing. I want the full Monty. <laughs> I, want the, I want as much of God in whatever version that we can do it uh, so they can help us in our faith and not just sneer at you know, some of the symbolism of liturgical things or the uh, expressions of the Pentecostal things or whatever. Man, listen, I want it all. I want, you know, people say, you know, well, if, if, I, if I have the Holy Spirit, will I have to speak in tongues? <clears throat> well, I guess no, but why would you ask something like that? What? I want all of it. I don't go in saying, well, can I just, you know, have the minimum daily requirement it's like, it's like people with computers. They, they, they buy with a minimal operating system. The problem with the minimal operating system is things move really slow. <laughs> It'll eventually work. I don't want a minimum. What do you want the minimum for? So well, I don't want that, and I want this, and, you know, they kind of got this uh, smorgasbord version. I say, man, bring it all on. I want all of God, as much of God, and in any way we can communicate this as possible. All right, enough of all this. Let's wrap this up. We're going to end with our time of communion as we always do. Um, uh, In his epistle to the Corinthians, the apostle Paul wrote these words. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and the blood of the Lord. He, Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Uh, Paul said, this is, the, this is the body and blood of the Lord. Then people, you know, get into their little uh, mental arguments and stuff about what is literal, what is trans, whatever. <laughs> you know, who cares? You know, just for this, for us, this is uh, the body and the blood of, of the Lord Jesus. We're remembering, we're reflecting on what Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago. He died on that cross. His blood shed so we could have forgiveness of sins Um, and his body was broken so that we could be healed. And that's what we're going to celebrate during this time. But he says, do this before you do all this. Examine yourselves first, and then only eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So that's what we're going to do right now. I want to just take a moment, bow your heads with me as we pray. I'm just going to pray a general prayer of forgiveness. Where are you at this week? What was your week like? Did you say things you shouldn't have said? Did you do things you shouldn't have done? Did you avoid things that you know you should have done? This is always a great time where we just kind of reset before God and ask him uh, to set things right with us, examine ourselves before we take of this communion together. Let me pray this prayer for all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you by something that we've done, thought, something that we uh, didn't do that we should have done, if we haven't loved people with our whole hearts like we should, our neighbors as ourselves, if we haven't loved you like we should, Father, right now we just ask, as your Holy Spirit moves on us and and we're reflecting for the sake of your son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on all of us and forgive us of our sins and strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of your Holy Spirit, 
keep us an eternal life, that we can delight in your will, walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And while we're all in an attitude of prayer, maybe you're watching this morning and you're listening and you say, you know, I've never taken that first step of really knowing Jesus in my life. Why don't you right now, just in your own words, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to make himself real to you, that you can experience the power of his Holy Spirit that we were just talking about, this energizing, life-giving spirit. And ask him to come into your life as we do this.